probably not your CEO or your boss all the time. Uh, right. They're going to definitely help guide you. But my energy is coming from the team I work for and the, those I serve and the stakeholders around me, my peers, my, my organization, right? Welcome to the Real Leadership Podcast. My name is Chris Obst. I've spent the last 25 years going deep with leaders on the real challenges they face, the stuff that keeps them up at night. Are you ready for raw and honest conversations and the reality that self-leadership and personal growth are the keys to you being the leader that you were meant to be? You started playing tennis, why? (laughs) Hey, you know, uh, I started playing tennis for a new challenge, something different. Uh, I was actually getting envious of between my son Cody and my husband Ron doing competitive sports I was missing this so I was like I need to get out there and try something new and instead of being a spectator all right Uh, well ladies and gentlemen I uh, am delighted to have uh, Katie player with me and Katie is the senior vice president of people at Canfor someone I've known a long time uh, and I've been trying a long time to get to join me but you are a busy person and I know that uh, for a fact so welcome. Thanks, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Good. Um, maybe, uh, you know, we've got an international audience. He says proudly, um, tell us a little bit about Canfor and what your role entails. Yeah, so uh, Canfor is a global leader in I think what's becoming known as carbon solutions and more traditionally known as uh, uh, pulp, paper, lumber, and green energy. So the wood products industry. We're based in Canada here, headquartered in Vancouver, but we have operations in uh, BC, Alberta, also all through the southern United States, southeastern United States, and in Sweden. Yeah, you truly are global now. Getting there, yeah. Yeah. It's exciting for for our company to grow, keep growing, especially overseas. We're really happy to welcome the the Swedish contingent a couple of years ago. Yeah, they seemed, um, I didn't get a chance to talk to them much, but there was a contingent when I was working with you folks down in the south a couple weeks ago, and there was a group uh, in Charleston from Sweden, and they seemed to be enjoying their... Uh, integration into the Canfor world? Yeah, I think we're going to benefit hugely from having uh, those folks as part of the team. Yeah, nice. So um, when you and I were preparing for this, we were kicking around ideas and and um, it's usually around leadership. It's around your journey. It's around great examples or sometimes poor examples of leadership. Um, one of the things why I really wanted you to join me on this podcast, Katie, was I th- like I've watched you grow up as a leader. I mean, uh, we, we met, well, the first time we met, you were in seventh grade, like 12 years old, and uh, my wife's um, class, you were, I think, her favorite student. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, all of a sudden, you came back from university, and you were going from one job to another, and it just seemed like you always made a good move. Like, you always put yourself in a position to have more responsibility and to impact people. And so I, you know, you're one of the people that I can literally say, watch grow up as a leader. And, and um, you know, you and I have had a chance to do some coaching uh, together. You've brought me in to work with teams. And so obviously we have a good history, lots of things we could talk about. But as, as we we're talking prior to this, I was asking you like, where did it start? And I was thinking your leadership journey maybe started when you were at REC at UBC, but I mean, you're mentioning you you played collegiate sports. You're a volleyball player, and and for you, you said leadership really started there. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about that, the correlation between, you know, competitive university sports and and leadership. Okay, yeah, sure. I think uh, probably not just university, but even 
younger, right? I was a really shy, awkward um, kid. Uh, and the one place that I think I felt good about myself was on, on the on the field, whether it was softball or basketball or, or volleyball. Those were my sports of passion. And I think there you're really seeing that uh, my strength was to be able to rally people around uh, what we we're trying to achieve and quiet, I'd say, leader. Definitely not the extroverted type, as you know. I'm a, I'm a big introvert uh, in uh, behind closed doors. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think as a young young person, elementary school, high school, just seeing the role of a leader and really wanting to be that person, be there for for the team, be the person that they could rely on. Um, and for the coach, you know, to know they had a point person out there that would rally the troops and uh, make sure everyone was doing okay, but also step up and show up when going got tough or just like match point or whatever it is, know that you'd get your serve in. And I always wanted to be that person. So I think that's where I, uh, yeah, I saw, saw great leadership, saw where there wasn't leadership and those were the teams you could often beat, right? When they were all uh, maybe a little bit of dissent or not a great captain on the floor. So that was there even before college where I did, you know, have the opportunity to lead the team in terms of a captain role for a couple of years. Um, you know, it was more uh, earlier than that that I guess I realized that this could be some, a role I can play. Yeah. So that's interesting because most people, when they think about, um, you know, youth athletics and team captains, you're thinking about the, the sort of more vocal, extroverted, rah, rah, rally the troops. What I'm hearing you say is that you led by by executing, by being competent, by getting your serve in, by hitting that winning hit or, or what have you. So, we, so was leadership for you about performing? No, uh, not always. I mean, yes, I think doing the work, working hard at practice, you know, being there on time, you know, all the things that are controllable, you know, um, that's sort of for me where I think how I earned the the, the team captain being coachable, listening, um, giving other teammates opportunities. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I think especially when you're young, it's the it's the work ethic, it's the collegialness, it's the team uh, atmosphere. Instead of always trying to get in the starting lineup or be the one first to touch the ball, whatever it is, you just thinking as a team system, right? I think right. that was uh, you know a strength of mine, and also you know like I said, being coachable is important um, in the younger years because you think you think you know everything and uh, turns out you don't you don't no <laughs> still for sure we've had, we've had discussions about that okay so so that makes sense that the seed was planted early on on the sports field so when did it hit you that or, or did it like 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 I'm okay there's a 12 year old girl on the softball field or the volleyball court and now in front of me is you know, a senior executive in a very successful organization who's had a great career. Like what, how, how did those dots get connected? Did, was this a, a vision? Like I'm going to be a successful executive. Like, was there a dream to be where you are? Definitely not. And you know, it's funny because I think the roles, like you said, I did, I have had a number of opportunities to work in different organizations. I feel like they found me more than me finding them. And I think that's often the story for a lot of leaders. Um, you're called into a role or called to action. And it's not to say I've never applied for a job. I certainly, when I joined Canfor, it's a company I wanted to be with. I applied, right? right. I went after that original role. It wasn't an executive role. Um, but I think um, in terms of my career path and designing it out, I just want to to be challenged like and it's so trite but it's so true like what's the next thing where can I contribute um, who's going to value me um, what steps up for sure take on more responsibilities I think those of us that are born more natural leaders you get itchy feet once you're not really seeing your impact anymore right and and you want more and you want more um, influence right, right. Um, 
so and and often especially in the job market today i think there's a lot of organizations just crying out for leaders so you often get tapped with with hey do you want to take this on and can you take this on now and i think that was definitely part of my story was being asked to step into roles versus um you know going to seek them out so if you'd have told me um we were just talking about one of my early larger leadership roles at ubc in terms of uh leading the uh, recreational the intramurals athletic piece of the athletics department I was 25 right and I had a team of uh, well with with all the part-timers and whatnot it was probably over 100 people yeah that's pretty by today's standards that's by any standards that's pretty young to be having a job with that kind of responsibility well and I think back to them making uh, me the associate director of athletics and what a big leap that would have been for them, you know, because I think of now and how we look at 25-year-olds in terms of right or wrong. We're saying, oh, they got room to grow. Let's give them more opportunities before they get the big title or the big job. And I'm so thankful that they took a chance on me because that's what really started to propel my career. And I had a incredible team uh, at UBC. It was really truly one of a kind team. Uh, we were all similar age cohorts, similar passions definitely aligned on where we wanted to go and that got me super jazzed about being a leader i think if i'd had a tough team early out the gate i might have got turned off a lot uh earlier you might have become a world-class individual contributor and I said, think we'll I leave this team stuff to someone else i still think i could be great at that oh uh, for sure yeah. but that that was that really uh, was where sort of the magic happened for me early i know you you were helping coach me back then and uh at the time i i like probably didn't appreciate what a risk the organization i.e. UBC was taking on me as yeah. a, new, a young leader but um but it sure I think worked out hopefully for them too they see that now yeah so you got a taste of leadership there was there a was there a leader in that job or in a, in a job that came soon after that that kind of really inspired you or showed you like another level or something that was aspirational for you in leadership you know in that <laughs> at that time it was probably a little more on the opposite end of sort of observing some behaviors that I was, of leaders where I was like, maybe that's not really how I want to go, right, with respect to uh, future leadership. And I think it was a great opportunity for me to lean in and lean down in the organization and get my inspiration there. And really, at the end of the day, you know, that's where the energy in any leadership role comes from. It's probably not your CEO or your boss all the time. Right. Uh, they're going to definitely help guide you, but my energy is coming from the team I work for and the, those I serve and the stakeholders around me, my peers, my my organization, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that was a good time to realize you're not going to get everything from your boss. And at 25, you're probably looking up. And it was a good wake-up call for me to make that. That's, that's not where I'm going to get everything. I need to figure this out myself or lean in and, and sideways for, for that inspiration. That seems to me like that was really insightful at that age because I know this idea of looking up and, you know... <laughs> managing up and like there's so many leaders I've worked with that their kind of story starts and ends with well my manager didn't do this or my leader didn't do that or they did do this and so that idea of well I don't see it above me but these people here are depending on me the people are reporting to me and it sounds like that really did energize you yeah no exactly you nailed it and like I said I think it's you know I've had it a couple times, but very rare to have that kind of team dynamic that really propelled me. And honestly, I felt uh, pushed forward through my team, right? Uh, giving me the confidence that I could do more and take on more and maybe needed to pursue something else outside of that organization even to continue to you know, grow. Yeah, yeah. One of the stories I think about, because like I said, you, 
it seems like every time you you were to to make a career move, you and I probably had a conversation. You would call me up and say, oh, "I got to just wrestling with a decision. Not sure what's next." And and we would meet for a coffee for a lunch. And, and I mean, you always knew. I think what I realized. I think what I what I did was listen to you and then maybe feedback what I heard you saying. I think you knew what you wanted. But um, I I remember a role you were in, and I think it was a um, like a civic organization or a government job. And you were a young leader, and I've known you as Katie my whole life. And uh, you brought me in to do a workshop with your team, and you said, like, I was literally walking in. I think you met me in the parking lot. I said, oh, by the way, here I'm Catherine. I'm like, what? Yeah, you know, they, they think I, I should be called Catherine. And I remember in the session, I, I slipped like three times because, like, you're Katie. You're, you've always been Katie to me. But well, what was going on there? What was was that your idea, their idea? What? Yeah, that was an interesting time. And I look back now and uh, kind of shake my head a little bit. But I so this is an organization. It was a government organization, a bit more traditional. Definitely a step up, I would say, when I applied to this to the job. This would have been after UBC, so I was going into a, a fairly you know significant role in in local government. And the person in the interview it was an HR person. Actually, told me. <laughs> Um, one of the questions was something around, hey, you're, you're quite young and you're leading a large team. Like, how do you, uh, you know, earn their um, respect? And I think I made a joke because, I, I, you know, it was a tough question to answer. It's a long story how you earn respect, obviously. Yeah, but I made a joke, oh, sometimes I wear these glasses, which I had worn in an interview because I know I looked exceptionally young. I was, looked younger than my age, which now I'm thankful for. I hope I can keep looking <laughs> young from age for a long time. But um, I had been wearing glasses, and I, so I had joked with, with the, the woman that, yeah, sometimes I wear glasses to make myself look older. So when they offered me the job, uh, which was wonderful, I the HR person called back and said, oh, it's great you're coming. Uh, just a couple words of advice. One, we think you should wear your glasses and probably go by Catherine. We noticed that's your legal name. I said, yes, it's my legal name, but I've never been called Catherine. And they said, well, you know, it's a bit of a traditional organization. I'm thinking, oh, I wish I'd known that before I signed the offer letter. But um, <laughs> I said, oh, I'll think about it. You know, I've never been known as Catherine, but, you know, I'll think about it. And then I showed up on day one and my nameplate and my business cards and everything said Catherine on it. So I was like, I guess we're going with this. Uh, and I said, why not? It's time almost 30. Uh, I'll give this a try. And, uh, it, you know, I, it was a struggle for me. Obviously, in my personal life, I stayed Katie. But Yeah. Uh, so you're... Um you know, somewhere older than late 20s now, in your 40s. Uh, if you were to go back and give advice to that Katie, who is, would you have done anything differently? Oh, around totally. That? Yeah. I mean, I, I now today, I've, you know, you are who you are, and they're not hiring you for your name. If, if they are, that's a not, not a good choice on their part. So, um, and then, you know, I would counsel my old self to just stick with who you are, of course, and and push back a little harder, and maybe not even wear the glasses in the interview. I don't really know, uh, you know, that that's necessary if they like what you're you can do and what you've done. Um, then that's all you need to know. Yeah. So that's the the wisdom of experience speaking to you know, the younger you, and I ask pretty much every guest about this, about what would you tell your 30-year-old self? What And and I, it's almost unfair because we don't know when we're mm -hmm. 30. We're, and we, we're, we worry about probably way too much what others think and are we a little too something or not enough of something is when we move into a role. Um, other than kind of standing up for what your actual name is or the name you go by, what, what would be some other advice that you'd give to to a say 30 year old Katie as she's you know navigating her leadership career yeah that's a good question um I'm pretty fortunate in my career moves that I, I don't have too many regrets which is nice I mean we always make a few choices here and there that we'd like to 
uh, do differently? I think I would say to myself um, that it's all going to be okay, right? Right. You know, in the sense that you really try to over-engineer probably at some point in your life, all the decisions you make, all the, whether it's, should I buy a house? Where should I live? Uh, you know, who should I hire? Uh, and probably tell myself to just take a deep breath. It's all going to be okay. I think at 30, I was really running hard, right? Yeah. Uh, and the fact that I'm still able to kind of uh, continue on, I think is, especially after the last couple of years that we've all been through with the pandemic and, mm-hmm. and my, my capacity now in an HR role is, is unique and uniquely draining, I'd say, compared to back then I was not in an HR role. So I think I would tell myself to just take a breath and it's going to be okay um, and trust, keep trusting your gut, which has served me well. I know that's not uh, the textbook guidance, but it is, you know, you, you know what you want, you know who's in your camp, uh, you know when you can call a friend, right? So yeah, that's probably what I would tell myself. So, uh, you know, you mentioned you're fortunate that you you made a lot of good moves in your career. And I don't, I don't know if it's fortune. I think, yeah, there's probably some luck. But like you say, you listen to your gut. You're a thinker. You pay attention to what's going on around you. Um, so you were with Canfor once before mm-hmm. and then left. And I can't recall how long you were gone for. I know they missed you like one crazy. One year. It was, was it one year? Yeah. And then you came back. Well, well, I mean, you can get into the why you left, why you came back. There was definitely a shift. Like when you came back, it was like you now had your arms around something big. So I, I just, I think there's something in there for us to learn around. It's okay to, to leave. And I know your organization, I know a lot of people can for, there are people that leave and come back. And I think I, I, I've worked with a lot of leaders that are terrified of doing that. They're terrified of leaving something safe and secure. And uh, so I'm just wondering if you could talk to that as someone who's actually lived through it and, and really benefited and the organizations benefit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know that I'd always advocate for it, but, um, and look, careers are, I think we all think a career is a chessboard, and you you know, I said I've made some good moves, and you've said that, but there, it wasn't always moves, right? Sometimes, uh, like I said, things happen to me, and offer opportunities were presented, but a lot less like a chessboard, and a lot more like snakes and ladders, right? Like, that's how I think of, you know, you're going to move up, and then you're going to go down, and then you're going to go over here. And to me, it was just a collection of opportunities, experiences. I wasn't on, uh, you know, a strategic path. If I go here, then maybe I'll get there. I was not that strategic. Right. Um, I think it was just, you know, we're all looking for people we want to work with, a purpose that we can get behind, mm-hmm. right? And um, at the end of the day, am I gonna, is this going to be fun? Am I going to be challenged? And, you know, does it excite me? So when I... Uh, made the decision to leave camp for that was very tough right I was because the people I loved right mm-hmm. it was the role that had a little lacked a bit of clarity for me at the time and you know I'd been again there going really hard for a couple of years and kind of wondered um you know what the future looked like for me and probably being a little unclear about that and the role um it was just time to go seek a broadening of my skills I was offered an opportunity to go into a more general list HR role. And I knew that was a gap in my skill set. So the opportunity to kind of fill a, fill a hole right. uh, with an organization that, that I admired and sounded pretty good. What I underestimated, I think, was culture, right? And the mm-hmm. CAMFOR culture is just, it is who I am, right? Um, it's primarily employees in small towns, uh, largely, that are just super committed, wonderful human beings, um, great 
um, neighbors and people you want to be around, right? Yeah. And I went to a, a bit of a more of a white collar corporate world uh, and it was a bit soulless. And I missed the human uh, element and the, and the loving who you work with and yeah. the team. Um, and, and that was a clear decision for me when Camfor called and said, hey, would you maybe think about coming back? That was, it was easy. It was, you know, yes, I miss the people genuinely um, and the culture and who we are and what we're trying to do. Yeah, I remember there was a, uh, one of Patrick Lencioni's works that had the, I think if, if the book was called Hungry, Humble, hum, Humble, Hungry and Smart. And, and I know that, that resonated with a lot of folks at Canfort for a while. And, you know, that's the consistent thing I feel when I work with the, the leadership at Canfort is people are hungry, they want to do a good job, and but they're also humble and, yeah. and smart, smart people. And I know, I know all of that resonates with you. It's how you lead. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of folks that report to you, and they, they can't say enough about the type of leader you are. Um, one of the things that, that might be interesting to share to my listeners is this idea when you do get promoted, and you realize that you, you actually have to start managing yourself, like your calendar, your commitments, your energy differently, um, because you're just responsible for so much more. And I, I can actually remember, because you and I, you know, we, we're not only colleagues, but we've, we've become friends over the years. And I remember there was a time when all of a sudden I didn't have access to you. And at first it was like, I almost took it personally. And then I realized, well, no, you can't like, there's probably someone a, a level or two below you that I should be talking to based on whatever is we're talking about. So I've just wondered if you if you thought about that much. I know I'm, I'm sort of catching you off guard with all these questions, but you're doing a great job, by the way. Um, what? How did that hit you? That idea that I can't I gotta I can't scale this. So I'm gonna have to say no to some people or some lunches or phone calls or whatever. So how did you navigate that? Well, first of all, I never knew you were offended. So. <laughs> I'm pretty good at hiding yeah. it. I'm, I'm, I'm way more sensitive than I look. <laughs> no, I'm not always good at hiding it, though. No, so, but true. thank you for sharing that. Um, well, hey, time's the only finite resource we have, right? And I think figuring that out because, you know, admittedly growing up through my career is like, I'll just do everything and that will that will make me successful. Yep. Um, and now that's clearly impossible. Um, and so, yes, I think being a lot more deliberate on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly planning cycle about how I'm going to spend my time um, and meaning saying no to sometimes a podcast or other things that, right. that at the right time, finding the right time and energy for, for the right tasks. It's, it's, a, it's a real skill, to be honest. I, I have, certainly haven't mastered it because um, it's an ongoing uh, challenge. But I think having you know, training your team and your team training you on what they need and how they need it. So they know, um, you know, if my door's closed, it's kind of, I need the time. I'm going to getting a task done or a paper done or a call done or whatever it is. And when the doors open, you know, that's the time I've planned for, um, drop-ins and, and casual conversations and the hallway kind of chats. Right. And, and vice versa, respectful of my team in, in the same kind of way. Um, I think though that doesn't always feel good when you're at the office to collaborate and sometimes you have to close your door, right? right. So just even the guilt around how you're managing your time and others' expectations of you is, is a psychological uh, building of strength and resilience around letting other people down. Because when you're in those leadership roles, it's this constant feeling of you're letting someone yeah, down, yeah, right? We've so all heard it. Yeah. Family, friends, job, boss, um, you know, 
associations, volunteer work, somebody's not getting your time or attention right now. So yeah, that's the constant. So that's a work in progress. Yeah, right? I think yeah. I don't think I don't know anyone that's got that mastered. Maybe you do, but no, I don't. No, I don't. There's not enough people that actually are dying to talk to me. But um, you're okay. So so you actually had to go through that process of I need a model that I can scale because this you know just working hard and saying yes to everything got me this far. It, I can't continue. Um, the other thing I've noticed, and you and I have talked about this is over the last couple of years and just in terms of managing your own health and energy and you I mean you are I know you're results driven everyone that knows you that way and you care a lot about the people that that you work with and work for so what have you done or how have you managed to kind of like claim that time for whether it's going for your workouts or your runs or taking your vacations I noticed in the last couple of years even though you've you've been in probably the hardest job you've had the biggest demands on you it seems to me like you've really committed to those things i just wondered if you could talk a little bit or am i just imagining all that no i uh, no, i think it's essential like it should be part of the executive job description or any leader job description really is you know self-care or you know managing one's health because uh, the demands on you are certainly incremental over maybe when you're uh, younger and don't have family, those kind of things. Um, I think for me, it's just realizing that I'm better, you know, when I've gotten my workout in. I'm a, I'm a better mom. I'm a better uh, leader. I'm a better colleague uh, because I feel m- more calm and like I've checked something off the list for the day at least. So one of the big shifts for me, which was, oh, it was really tough and I, I'm sure a lot of others can relate, is uh, I used to be a nighttime workout person, like right. 8 o'clock or, you know, 7 o'clock after work, go, go to the gym and there was a social scene around it too and it was really energizing then as I got older well first of all you know between uh, meetings and dinners and board meetings you just the nights are not always yours right. um, so you got to get up early and get it done and so that started I, I've had a couple friends and uh, running buddies that got me out uh, starting to run very early on, on weekend mornings around five in the morning and I hated it but <laughs> it's really taught me that the energy though I feel later and better sleep um, so getting up early and getting my workouts done in the morning is the only that's the only time you can control your day really is before the day starts right um, so that's like 100% advocate for that it takes a few weeks to get into it but after you you got those new patterns and habits yeah. it's life-changing you gotta, you gotta go to bed a little earlier too oh yeah bed yeah. early yeah and and is that because one of my pet peeves is that leaders and organizations don't talk about this enough. It's sort of like, you know, there's this weird feeling that I don't, I don't want, yes, I want my employees to be happy and healthy and, and thriving. And I don't, I don't know whether it's guilt or not, but they don't, they're not showing their employees that they're going out running or doing yoga or working out. They're not, they're not celebrating it. And I'm not, I'm not accusing you or Canfor. This is just like a common theme around this you know, celebrating workaholism mm-hmm. and it's it's a mission I'm on is to say, no, let's celebrate. We're going to work hard. That's a given. Let's celebrate taking care of ourselves, taking breaks. Let's celebrate vacations so that we can continue to do this at a high level. And I'm just wondering if that's you amongst your peers. Is that a conversation that that you're thinking about, talking about? How do you navigate that when you've got a big job and all these responsibilities? 
Yeah, well, I don't. I don't think it's any secret from from my team anyway that you know I like to get my workouts in early, um, and that you probably won't get so many emails from me after nine because I'm usually in bed. Um, so I think we we talk about that. That's not a secret. I think every human is a bit different, right? So yeah. what what rejuvenating is to them, it doesn't necessarily mean a run at five in the morning or or a weight workout or whatnot. It could be meditation. It could be a walking their dog. You know. So um, you know, I think amongst my colleagues, what we do talk about is the expectation of performance and to be performing at your best you need to be healthy and you know frankly health is you know physical health as well as mental health and often those are intertwined when it comes to you know nutrition exercise all the things that you promote Chris so I feel again like it's part of the job description at an executive level you know I know my boss is expecting me to healthy expecting me to be healthy and and uh, be able to perform you know 24 7 all year round so I'm gonna have to work in the workout somewhere there yeah yeah one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about, I was having a conversation um, with a coaching client today, actually from your organization, and we were just talking about, you know, the sort of uh, back to work philosophy and like how many days in the office versus out of the office. And, you know, we've got different generations that have different sort of wants and needs and expectations. And I'm just wondering, you know, being in the role you're in, what do you see as the future of leadership like how do we navigate the fact that okay you're still in a kind of a traditional business so that the most senior people kind of grew up in a traditional way in the business and yet we're trying to attract and keep younger people with diverse ways of thinking how do you manage to me like in your role that would be one of the biggest challenges like how do we create and promote a culture that's that hangs on to the good stuff from the tradition but we're willing to let go of some of that good stuff because maybe there's a different way and maybe the way i do it um, I, was, I was talking to someone today and they said, well, to me, if they're on camera, they have to have a collared shirt on and their hair has to look right. Because I know when I do that, I'm ready to work. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I get that you get that. But what if, what if that dude in the baseball cap shows up and he's the brightest guy on the call? Like, does that, you know, so, yeah. so there's this kind of hanging on to the tradition that we honor and we believe in and then being open. So I'm just wondering if how in your role you navigate that or think about it or talk about it because I'm really curious about the future of leadership. Yeah, I think a lot of organizations are wrestling with this, but to me it's like we've just had this two and a half year experiment. We we got to pilot this for two and a half years. So if you haven't been able to, you know, kind of figure out what worked and what didn't from then, you know, we were so camp for frankly, probably wouldn't have gotten that opportunity to have this experiment had it not been from the pandemic. So right. one of the few positive outcomes, I'd say, of, of, of COVID was the opportunity to trial a new way of working for us in our corporate offices. We still had thousands of people going to work every day that their jobs are going to rely on them being in a production environment. So, you know, respectful that uh, of those folks who didn't change a lot other than a whole bunch of safety protocols. But for the corporate world, yeah, we've just looked at it as, hey, what was working from this last two and a half years and what wasn't? And what's working is shifting to outcome-based performance management instead of button-seat performance management, right? Right. I mean, like, it's not attendance-based, it's outcome-based. And we all know what we need our team to get done. So, Mm -hmm. and hopefully as a leader, you're able to observe that and and recognize when it is getting done or not getting done or folks are not aligned um, and and support them. So, you know, I think that's working for us in terms of um, shifting. Uh, It's easier for some people than others that have, you know, for sure uh, have a hard time assessing outcomes. But I think for the most part, we're getting there. What's not been great though is the inability to collaborate face to face yeah i mean you know you've heard this a million times but this conversation you and me sitting across from each other is very different than if i was sitting on camera right now and you were in another 
location. And so we're trying to, like many organizations, piece together the best of the both worlds, right? Yeah. The autonomy and flexibility to work uh, independently from home or, or uh, another location other than the office, because if you're just going to be heads down and, you know, that seems appropriate that you're um, wherever you want to be more, more most productive, but at the same time, find ways to keep the connection going. Our culture, we're super relationship-based organization. We're big, but we're not big enough that relationships don't matter right. anymore. They're, they're critical to our success and, and who we are as a company and, and how we've even grown as a company is a lot through relationships and introductions to other uh, companies. Um, so I think that's always going to be a, a really important ethos for us. And yeah. so bringing people together, even if we have to kind of prompt them, um, is going to be really a part of our identity. And, and we believe that we'll be stronger by having a bit of, of both um, environments going forward. It sounds like it. So um, what's keeping you up at night? Oh, man, what's keeping me up at night? I think like like everyone, it's um, talent challenges. I think, to be honest, I'm excited because uh, it's forcing us to be more creative. And um, I think we're going to find some new ways to a uh, new... Um, new talent pools and hopefully help us diversify, uh, which is a real uh, main goal for us. Uh, so I think, you know, every crisis breeds major opportunity and we're yeah. in another one talent crisis right now. And so I think that that's, and it's really opening up how we're thinking about people and prioritizing people. So I couldn't be more pleased about that um, challenge. Uh, it does worry me though, you know, uh, the resiliency of people, not because they're not resilient, but how much more can we continue in this environment where there's still uncertainty in the world, there's a lot of strange things happening out there geopolitically, and also um, just, you know, because we're short talent, people are taking on more work, right? And I think it is taking a toll, and I'm worried people will leave the workforce to, for a break. Um, uh, that that worries me. Yeah. Um Maybe just in terms of wrapping up, and I, I so appreciate you being here, and I know this was our third try to get you here. So, you know, it's, this is uh, like living proof that you, you, you can't say yes to everything when someone else needs it, but it doesn't mean, no now doesn't mean no forever. And right. and I remember you saying, Chris, I, I could come and squeeze it in, but I'm just coming back from the East and I won't have the best energy and I want to do a good job for you. And, and so I am so grateful that you did uh, kind of push it off till today. Um, but what... If you got to say, because there are leaders, there's you know, current leaders, future leaders listening to this podcast. If, if you got to, to just, you know, inspire them or grab them by the scruff of the neck and shake them a bit, what would you want to share? Because I know you're so highly regarded in your organization. And I mean, HR has a voice at this most senior table in your organization. And you're the reason why. And you're respected because you listen to people, right? You literally listen to people at all levels in the organization. And, and when I was first talking to people about you there, they said, oh, she comes into the operation, she goes to the mill, she goes out to the field, and she asks questions and she listens, right? What, to the leaders that are listening here, what would you want to share with them or inspire them to kind of think about or do differently? Listen more. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a good question. I think be, you know, for me, when I was thinking about uh, chatting with you about leading in an executive role and what, what, it's gonna what it takes i guess to be successful at this level and and i'm still you know working at this it's um understanding why you're doing it because it is uh it, it is over glamorized the executive role right um and i think people aspiring to have a title um are going to be really disappointed <laughs> when they see that the the role is really uh, 
self-sacrificing you have to be self-sacrificing i humbly would say this this you're married to the job and that's the commitment you make when you take on an executive role and i i I understood that and yet it still kind of pounds you every day right um so i think for those um, aspiring to maybe a senior leader role just be really clear on why you want it right mm-hmm. and for me uh, it's about performing at the peak and and continually challenging myself and making sure that um, you know I'm involved in in uh, the direction of the company I think to um, leaders that are the most successful are the ones that realize the higher up you go the more power and authority you have but the less you can use it Right. right. And we've talked about that before. It's really, you know, again, you think you have um, all the tools in your toolkit to just make all the decisions. But, you know, and I'm definitely guilty of over vectoring on that sometimes because <laughs> it's my comfort zone. But it's really nobody's going to buy into those decisions that you're making autonomously. Right? Right, right. So I think being really clear on why you're seeking uh, the leadership role and to your point, getting out. Listen, I don't know how you can do your job if you don't listen to people, your constituents, your your, your employees, your teammates, you know. How are you going to know what they need or where the business needs to go if you're, you know, blindly moving ahead? So it's pretty, I think, obvious to me. And I think, but the best leaders, you know, listen more than they talk. Yeah, for sure. and and at the um, sort of town hall or um, get together in the in the south a couple of weeks ago, your CEO Don Kane did. He was asked, you know, what's what's a tip, and he said, listen more just like that. So there seems to be a theme there. So Katie, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. What I've realized though, is that if I'm going to play tennis with you, I need to do it sooner than later. Because if you're practicing three times a week, I know how competitive you are. Yeah, look out. out. So thanks for joining me. And um, I, I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks for having me. Okay. The Real Leadership Podcast is produced by Chris Obst Leadership and Alive Creative Services. Thank you for listening.